Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. I'm Jeremy, and in this episode, I spoke with Sarah Greeley. She teaches wellness in a high school as well as coaching the lacrosse team. She loves her job as much as anyone I've ever met, and she feels very fortunate. That's basically what she gave me for her extremely professional and polished bio. <laughs> I'll just add that she's a former client and current peer and friend. We're the type of friends who will go a year without talking and then pick things up right where we left off. So if you want to imagine like maybe you're meeting us at a cafe to catch up after a while, grab a coffee and join us and we'll talk about education. Did you hear that though? I just called you Sarah probably for the first time ever. That was wild. Yeah, I'm that. I don't think that can. Can I call you Greels? You can call me Greels. Okay. Really, you can call me anything, and you <laughs> can call me Sarah. It's just I, I might not answer. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me that, but you'll be sitting in silence on yes, this radio like, show here. Where is she? <laughs> I love it. So I want to start with a little, a little stroll down memory lane. Yeah. It's a few years ago. Um, I'm working at Gymnasia in Waltham. You're coming to work out. It is 5.20 or 25 a.m. And I like dragged myself there. I'm like pouring coffee on my eyeballs, <laughs> like trying to figure out how to string sentences together. And you come in and you're just like, hey, how's it going? Good morning. I'm ready to go. Let's work out. <laughs> yes. And there was a man who was uh, who walked down the street every morning at about the time that I arrived. Mm -hmm. And the first time I saw him, I was like, hey, because I thought it was you. <laughs> and, and he was alarmed. And then subsequently was always like, every time he saw me pulled up, he crossed the street. Oh, no. Like, it's like, oh, there's the really excited 5.30 in the morning lady. I know. I know. And with my high school kids, I have to actually really consciously try not to be so peppy first block in the day because whew, it is, um, it's a lot. It's you a could, lot. You could damage some eardrums. High school kids, I think, are, they don't function until what, like 11.30 noon? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So wait, other than just like having superpowers, can you, <laughs> like from my perspective, it's like, okay, wow she has this, let's say, like, gift, right? Like, she was sent from above. She has energy at 5 a.m., right? Yeah. But I also, like, in general, I'm probably going to take us towards, like, motivation, enrollment, buy-in, yep. that type of thinking. So I wanted to start with you and, like, how do you get the the spark or whatever it is at 5 in the morning to go work out? <laughs> Where does that come from? Well, I think a lot of it's circadian rhythm for, for real. Mm -hmm. um, because also the other flip side of that coin is come nine o'clock. Okay. And I can't handle a simple declarative sentence. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just kind of the way my body goes. And I've sure. always been like this. My parents have reported back to me that, you know, from the day I was born, I've always been a morning. And I was born in the morning. So I don't mm -hmm. know if that has anything to do with it. I guess it makes sense that I'd burst out of the, into the world around <laughs> five in the morning. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it's circadian rhythm. And I do fade in cognitive um, skill as the day goes. You know, mm -hmm. I'm much more productive in the morning. Um, and I actually really like that morning time because other people are still 
you know, waking up so there's actually less distraction for me because I do find a lot of things interesting and fun and um it allows me to kind of be focused on my stuff and mm. get myself ready for the day and then launch. So interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel particularly lucky that we got to know each other at that hour. I'm glad, yeah. you know, my job required me to wake up well before <laughs> I normally would. Um, but so it sounds like you're saying that is not really an example of being highly motivated to do something. That's just yeah. you happen to have good energy at that time. Yep. Yep. It's always been an hour of of my highest functioning is always early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um and I, uh, but I do, I hope that I was able to, um, catch myself sometimes. Cause I do know the effervescence in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I've become more aware as an adult anyways, on how to read the room and have my inside party. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, which brings us to teaching kids, right? Like yeah. you, you walk into a classroom at an early hour and there's obviously this huge mismatch. Yes. So let's start to think about what creates like motivation or enrollment from your kids' perspective, your students. Like, I don't know, first thing in the morning, how do you how do you talk to someone who has to be there because their parents sent them and it's the law and all that? Like yeah. where do you start with a teenager? Yeah, I think you're right. There's a huge difference between um a 5.30 in the morning gymnasia class that I sign into mm-hmm. and, and, you know, want to get to that class and a high school kid who is assigned wellness first block of the day, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I also think there are kids with circadian rhythms that there are morning um, teens. Mm-hmm. They're few and far between just because of the brain development, um, but there are morning teens I also teach a variety of different classes and I it, I could be in a, a whole host of different spaces in the building and requiring different skills from the kids. Um, currently, right now, I have the classes that I would walk into in the morning. One is classroom-based and discussion-based. Uh, another one is yoga. So it's movement, but we actually do a lot of gentle yoga in the mornings. Um, and, and ramp up as the class goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about it. We talk about that low energy level. All right. How are you feeling? What do you do when you're low energy? Um, what's a force and what's, and what's not a force? How can we, how can we ease you into this in a way that feels good? Um, what do we want to direct our focus on the have to, or the want to, or the, what does your body need versus what it wants? Um, there's lots of different ways we can talk about that as a class. Also, I think, um, have you ever heard of universal design? No. So in architecture, it's basically that uh, every single human being should be able to interact with our space, our yes. world, yes. Um, equally no matter what you can or can't do, if we design our sidewalks, our buildings, our access to everything. So universal design simply means that universally people can access spaces and what happens in those spaces. So universal design when applied to education is that you create experiences for learners where everybody can find their entry point, 
So that's something we talk a lot about as a department, about what are the ways you can create your, we, we do think about what is it like to walk into our spaces. Um, so if I have a gym and the music's, oof, 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 you know, and you've got somebody who's sensory sensitive, um, you know, how can we acknowledge that and set it up so you want to wear headphones? Do you not want to wear headphones? Do you want me to turn the music down? What's the sign if the music's too loud? What's the sign if you need some time? Um, so I actually think that setting up your space for your learners, um, keeping a lot of those things in mind, because you have to figure out what, um, all right, my learners are going to come to me. What are my expectations? The beginning of any class when you first meet people is teaching routine and setting expectation and and then also making sure you're not just going over rules, but you're having fun while you do it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answered your question. But. Yeah. So I think when a lot of people who aren't in school settings picture teaching or like talk about teaching, it's it's this thing where like your job is to give information to someone else. And then when I talk to actual teachers, it's like, you're talking about designing an environment where they can learn, yes. <laughs> which is kind of the opposite, or at least like not the same thing, right? Yeah. And you're you're doing it in a way where they can make a lot of choices because like they're all going to be different. And for it to be universal, then it better allow them to decide how they're going to learn. Is that fair? Yes. And have you ever heard of, uh, well, I, I it's something that teachers say a lot, but um, teachers always say we're trying to build a better mousetrap, which essentially just means in, in my mind, I'm trying to trick kids into to learning in the sense that um, I would like my class to be something where they say, you know, what are we even learning in here? Like, what are we even doing? Mm. Just play. And then when we go back and we take a look at, look at the vocabulary you've gained, Look at the experiences you gain. What about this concept? And they're like, wow, we really did do a lot this quarter. So, and the building of a better mousetrap just is, um, you know, you have X amount of time with kids. It's broken up into these segments. There's a lot of scoping and sequencing. And it's like, even each class builds on other classes. So by the time they, it's kind of like you start with a big and work your way backwards. By the time they graduate, we want our kids to know and be able to do this, 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 this. And how are we going to get that in their entire experience? Well, in the ninth grade year, we're going to be doing these two classes are going to hit this. These two classes are going to hit that 10th, 11th, senior, so on. So, yeah. I agree with you that it's all about creating an environment where people learn how to learn. And I just happen to have a content area that they're doing that with me. A lot of teachers in the building um, share information. We observe each other just to get an idea of where there's curricular overlap or a chance to coordinate with each other. That's really hard to do, but um, I think all teachers understand the vast benefits and 
also it makes teaching more fun. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of people who really try to make an effort to make that happen. So wait, I want to stick with this mousetrap for a little bit. Yeah. First of all, I find it horrifying and I don't think you should be trapping children in mousetraps. And <laughs> it seems to make a lot of sense. So I want yeah. to kind of make sure I'm I'm actually making sense of it. So if a child wants cheese, let's say, and you want to trap them into learning something, then where you might say like, okay, like, damn, they want cheese and we want them to want this other thing. Like, how can we stop them from wanting cheese? You're saying like, let's design it so that wanting cheese is a good entry point to learning what we want them to learn. Is that... Am I getting the analogy right? Yeah, yeah, sort of. And I would say, ultimately, at the end of the day, all teachers really are trying to make sure their kids have an intrinsic motivation to learn about themselves, about the world around them, um, and content, you know, depending on whatever content you're doing, that's just one access point into mm -hmm. learning about yourselves, the world, how you want things to go. Um, and the reality is, in a capitalistic society, um, there's a lot of things we do for extrinsic reasons. Right. Um, and then just being in a school, we have grades. Grades are a part of what we do. GPAs are a part of what we do. And it just so happens um, I'm in a department where we have had so many conversations about do we want to stay on the same grading scale, the academic grading model that other departments use? Mm -hmm. Do we want to go to a pass-fail? Um, and do we want to be counted in the GPA? Are we hurt that we're not included in MCAS because that means the world doesn't really value what we do? Or are we overjoyed that we're not included in standardized testing because it allows us to really teach the way we know teaching can be, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of conversations about the difference between assessment and evaluation, the purpose of both, and how to how what we do is it creating intrinsic learners? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm imagining, you know, in a room full of however many students you have at one time, there's got to be a whole spectrum of how intrinsically motivated someone is specifically to your class and your content. So can you describe to me like someone who shows up excited for wellness in the morning, like first period, they're like, great, I get to work with Greels today and do such and such. Take me into their mindset. Like, what are they excited about when they come to your class? So there's different readiness points for people. And because I teach different classes, um, there are a whole host of things that could make kids kids experience. They, they have a quarter-long class. And they actually have to do 12 quarter-long classes to graduate. And there are six required classes and six elective classes. And our philosophy behind this is that we have some expertise and there are some things that every kid should 
have to have before they graduate. And these six classes are the things we want to take them through this particular six class experience. But we also really believe in the power of choice and choice. So we they have to come up with six credits on their own where we have this buffet of activities and they're going to choose from the buffet. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting about a high school brain is that the social, the, the brain is so socially wired at that point. And because kids are starting to launch their own lives and their own personalities, this is why teenagers, like people are like, what were you thinking to a teenager? Because their brain actually has to deaden the risk response or the perceived risk because we want our kids to leave the nest, but leaving the nest is really scary. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, that's why sometimes teens want, so why are you treating me like a little baby? And then two minutes later, where's my mom? <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. You know, they're, um, I call them hybrids, sometimes gas, sometimes electric. <laughs> and um, so depending on a kid's readiness, depending on the content area, depending on who is in the class with them, what the makeup is, the goals for kids are going to be very, very different. Are you, do you have social power in this room? Do you, what kind of a mover are you? What is this class going to ask of you physically, conversationally? Um, and also just like what kind of kid we're dealing with right now. So every year your kid is going to change. That's the beauty of people. It's the beauty of education. And it's a, one of the most fun parts of teaching. Because if you did the same thing every year and everything that you always did always worked, God, that would be boring. Right? <laughs> yeah. that would be Having terrible. all the answers is not going to be fun. No, it's not. So as far as what are kids excited about when they come to class, it really, really depends. Um, some kids just want to be with their friends and, you know, they may be tired. It's kind of like, I love my job. I absolutely love my job. And there are still some days where I would rather stay home and do what I want to do. But because we all have to work, um, I'm so excited that I get to go and do that, you know, um, that I have a career that I can do that for. And I think kids love to commiserate and complain about school. But I think school is a really important high school. All grade levels are important. I love being a part of a kid's life in high school. Um, and again, not every kid has the same experience about what high school is. But regardless of whether it's positive, I, I think it's important nonetheless. So what are kids looking forward to? Um, probably the number one thing is they're looking forward to being in space with peers. And our spaces are very different than typical classrooms. And again, you'll find some kids who really gravitate towards it. They love it. And then you have other kids who are a little bit more reticent for a whole host of reasons. Mm -hmm. So I can't really say what specifically it is. Yeah, but that was insightful. Like the you kind of described their, I, I don't want to call it calculation, but like they're always aware of kind of their social dynamics and everything at play when they enter a space. And 
your space is I don't know whether it's unique, but it's it's different from most <laughs> classroom spaces, right? So yes. you're giving them like a different social opportunity. Yes. And maybe some of them wouldn't describe it as opportunity, maybe more of like a challenge, but it's definitely different. So I don't want to move too far from this before hearing a little more about the like required courses and electives. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to turn this into like a quiz about information you have, but what are the like core things that you think, you know, it's important for everyone to go through. Okay. So the way we have sequenced it is that your ninth grade year in every year, you have one that's more physical education heavy and one that's more health education heavy, which are symbiotic. Um, and both of them have a real psychological wellness. The reason we call ourselves wellness is because we have some wellness themes that are woven through all of our classes. So um, the physical education class for ninth graders would be foundations of strength training. <clears throat> the reason we do that is because we have incredible facilities at our school and they are free for students to use before and after school. And they're staffed by someone who has some knowledge about being in there and can keep them safe and help them if they have questions. Um, we would, we want our kids immediately to feel welcome in that space. We want them to feel familiar. So if they walk in, um, they, they know what to do. We teach them in that class also about our wellness culture and that you can go to gyms all over the place and you're going to have a different feel in every gym. And this is our culture here and it's based in wellness. And this is why we do what we do. So it's really about getting kids in, comfortable, understanding our rules and regulations, but where they're birthed from, and that it is actually a classroom. And they can do, they can use it to learn about themselves and to set goals and be with people socially. Um, it's theirs to use. So we do that their ninth grade year to really try to incorporate um, that comfort where wellness comes into it um in any strength training area um wellness can sometimes become very not wellness judgment on yourself egging each other on to see you know how much bench you know what i mean like yeah. a lot of questions about self-worth and how it connects to exercise that's really the piece that's going to make our class a wellness class um, it's kind of, it's kind of the spirituality realm of working out that, um, are you doing this? Um, you know, there's, there's multi-billion dollar industries out there who they're very invested in making you feel like what you are right now is not good enough. So you, and if you're not working on that, your gross and shame on you and how pathetic. So we talk a lot about that kind of stuff and what we do in our space. That's not what this is about. So their health, um, their health component is called an introduction to wellness. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a psychology, it's a kind of a philosophy class, but that's really difficult to do with ninth graders. There is a huge difference in a ninth grade brain to a 10th grade brain to an 11th to a 12th. Mm -hmm. 
And ninth graders are very concrete, still very concrete. Um, and again, hybrids, they have the ability to do some higher level thinking and to be a little more abstract, but philosophy for a ninth grader can be really difficult. I actually had a ninth grader the other day tell me we were talking about something and she said, Grills, it's not that deep. <laughs> and I was like, but it could be. If you let it, it could be. <laughs> She's like, it's not that deep. <laughs> gotcha. Oh actually, I'm, I'm flipping the hybrid switch. Okay. We're going the other <laughs> yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. And I just loved it because it was so real. And I was like, yep. All right. You know, uh, because as adults, sometimes we get so caught up in our own brains and we adultify li- like our kids yep. and they are so good at like whoom, bringing us right back. <laughs> like, oh yeah. 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 Not gotcha. This is about you, not me. Um, and then the way we take an angle with that, because they're so concrete and we're trying to teach these really abstract concepts is we use models. We use a lot of Sarah Ryan and uh, John Travis models um, of wellness, which they're, you know, they keep a volume. We, we keep like using a lot of their content, but we've built on it ourselves. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, it's, it's fun stuff. I love it. Um, and we try to do it with a little bit of an experiential ed. Experiential ed is um, John Dewey is one of the big thinkers in experiential ed. And that just means that we are social creatures and we are, you know, movers and, we need to, if we really want us to learn how to do something, you need to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's about trying to give the kids experiences and then we practice reflecting on the experiences. So it's about trying to pull meaning out of things that we just did. I could sit and lecture to you and give you a PowerPoint on all of this, but instead of that, we're going to create experiences that are really abstract but we kind of make some kumbaya moments out of it. And we're just talking about like, what does wellness mean? Um, You know, how does it show up in our life? And we do a lot of talking about, you know, the wellness industry and trying to unbraid the wellness industry to find yourself inside that braid. So, um, so that would be their ninth grade experience. And then they get to choose two classes and we have all kinds of fun classes. I'm so fortunate to teach at a school that has the most ridiculous um, <laughs> facilities and equipment and space and class size. I know I'm fortunate. Um, and I love education. I believe in it. I think it's absolutely um, essential for, for citizenry. And I also, because I love education so much, can be one of the biggest critics about our educational system. Um, while also defending it. I'll defend it. I'll go to the mat for education any day of the week. And I'd like to, um, I'd really like us to evolve as a, a country in and around the education. That That's a whole other podcast though. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I hereby elect you in charge of some level of administration or politicking. I'm not sure what I should be, where I should be placing you, but you can just place yourself and uh, I'll give you the reins for however yeah. many students you want to be in charge of. Be careful though, because I have a tendency to like leave important emails that I printed out where <laughs> I shouldn't, and, you know, lose a really important document. I, you know, I have a tendency. So be careful. Be careful. They have to contain me. Would you say, are you like an artist with respect to your work? Is that fair? Huh. Or if you had to take out the word educator and like put in some other word that is how you relate to your work, what would you put there? 
You know, I don't, the fact that you just asked me that question, I've never heard it put that way before, but I like that. And that's what I want. All right. I don't know if you hadn't said that, what I would, what my answer would have been. But now that you've said it, I actually really like that. Yes, I'm an artist. Um, Okay. So (laughs) as an artist, right, we got through ninth grade. Give me the lightning round version of the other like required uh, things that everyone goes through 10 through 12. Well, in order to graduate, you need to have CPR and first aid certification. And the way we weave a wellness model into that is about what does it mean to be a citizen and part of the community and how does having skills, just having skills, how does that make you a better community member? So that's, and we also do in that we do, um, we do a stop the bleed train and, and some stuff about public safety and education and spaces. And then we also do, um, some, uh, uh, state mandated, um, stuff on addiction in mm-hmm. CPR. And we talk a little bit about that and then they're supposedly classroom, but it's not a classroom. It's, um, outdoor experiential ed where we do group dynamics where basically outdoor pursuits is the name of our class. It could be anything, but we call it outdoor pursuits because we want the kids to know that when they're like, are we going outside today? <laughs> What's the name of our class? <laughs> um, and, and so, and that is like low elements adventure class. And it's all about, we want the kids to be able to walk into a room, see a group working on something and have the ability to observe the group notice, uh, having an understanding of group dynamics and, and then be able to see what roles are missing, but have a variety of skill sets to step into that group and take the group functioning up to the next level. Right. So it's, it's, it's a great class. And again, it's an introduction class. You, you know, I wish they could take it every single year and build on it, but we only get them one for that. And then junior year, um, they have a cardiovascular fitness class, which uses heart rate monitors. And the, the thing, the thing that I would say is the best part about this class is kids dread it and they love to complain about it. And the kind of the secret is when people take it, it's really not that bad, but don't tell anybody else because <laughs> like, everybody wants to dread it. And mostly it's because people don't want to change in the middle of their school day. Like it, it, like you and I get to decide when we work out Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't work for you, don't like working out in the middle of the day. That's it. This forces you to work out in the middle of the day, but it doesn't mean this is when you have to do it in your own life when you get back to your life. Right. Um, But the best part about that class, I think is that it, it, it actually shows our, our learners how much they already do. And scientifically, the ways to make cardiovascular health accessible, so accessible. You don't have to be at the NFL combine breaking records and and getting shoe deals in order to be cardiovascularly fit, even Mm -hmm. though the world would like you to believe that you're not good enough if you don't do that. So that's our cardiovascular program. And they dissect a pig's heart too, which is amazing. And yeah, it's cool. And then the uh, junior year classroom class, that's like my, one of my favorite classes to teach, is it's the, our last chance to talk to the kids about sex, drugs, rock and roll. And um, we really make it very conversational based. It's not about me telling kids what they're supposed to do. It's about me posing tons of questions and hard 
hard scenarios and they have to meet with different people. I keep switching their groups up and they have to just keep figuring out what would you do? What would you want to do? And what do you actually think you'd do? And the number one goal in that class is to have an opinion. And and that sounds easy, but it's actually quite difficult for all of us. And especially teens in your junior year, when there's that really cool girl over there, <laughs> and I really care what she thinks about me, you know? Um, so, and it's, again, that that is an experience we have to build on over the course of a quarter, what we get to. And we talk about all kinds of things. It's great. So wait, I shouldn't, I should let you finish, but instead I'm going to follow up on that one. Um, the, like you were describing it earlier, the importance of putting someone in the environment to actually let them learn experientially. And so like, I think about, you know, any skill development in the same way, like you can't ask a tennis player how they would hit a ball. You have to serve it to them and then see how they hit the ball. Um, right. So my question for that class is like, is being around their peers enough of that like social pressure to get how they really feel about those tough situations or would they need to like be at a party with alcohol available and whatever and you can't quite get at what they would really do in tough situations? <laughs> oh, well, you're going to hate my answer because it goes back to it depends. <laughs> um, and I always give the kids like they evaluate me at the end of every quarter mm -hmm. and I, the class, they evaluate me in the class. And I always get, what do you think? I, sh I have a whole keep it or ditch it. And the kids tell me, keep this, ditch that, keep this. And if you take a look at it, 50% of the class said ditch it, but 50% of the class <laughs> keep it. And it also depends on who are your friends? What are your friends doing? What's relevant to you right now? I hit on a few different topics but all of the topics aren't relevant to everybody. Um, <coughs> so it depends. It depends. Mm -hmm. I will say that one of the reasons I think I love teaching that particular class is because one, one of my strengths in teaching is that I can, I can um, weave a tale that I can get kids in the feeling place. And so I think that being one of my skills makes me love teaching that because just like yeah. all of your clients and all of our learners, we love to do the things we're really good at. <laughs> what? Yeah. I only work on my weaknesses, actually. <laughs> and we have to have a different kind of motivation for our weaknesses or work on our mindset when it comes to things that are hard because our brains are actually designed to help us avoid things that don't feel good or per are perceived as a threat. So um, I think the same goes for our learners in the classroom. Totally. If it's perceived as a threat or if it's perceived as useless, they're not going to like it, right? Yeah. Why would um, I invest my energy in this? Right. And, you know, kids have, a, kids have, I don't, I often, I feel that teens are often really patronized. And people are like, because we have a long view, they have only been on planet earth for 16 years and they've only been in high school three to four years when I'm working with them. And they're, this is where you learn a lot of, of stuff about yourself and it's hard and it's raw and it's vulnerable and it's important. And even though okay, you're not going to stay with this person for the rest of your life. And 
okay, like not getting into the school of your choice, you're going to have options. Look at, look at everything else you got going for you. But like, that's an adultifying moment of somebody who this actually, this is up until this point, this is their whole world. So, and they need a place, they need a place to grow and, and flex those, those topics, muscles, feelings, um, because we want them to be living a rich, full existence as adults. So they can't skip this. Yeah. So please don't patronize them while they're doing it. It's experiential yeah. learning. Like the only reason you can talk down to someone is because you got to experience it at some point. So, and, and it's kind of like, you know, when somebody's working on a puzzle, like one of those, like, how do you get the ring off this uh -huh. thing? And then if somebody's already done it before watching me struggle, <laughs> yeah. it can irritate them or they can grab it out of my hand or they can be worried that I'm getting frustrated. They might have an intolerance for my, my watching me struggle. So they try to save me or keep me safe. And I think that is the constant um, artfulness of parenting and teaching and working with young people. Um, because love, and we do love our kids, and um, love can complicate our development sometimes. Yeah. In beautiful ways and in hard ways. Yeah. If I had to summarize um, the, the kind of approach that you're describing, it's like you're protecting their intrinsic motivation and stoking it when, like, you know it has all these threats from, like, the wellness industry and yes. um, protective parents who want them to like not make mistakes. And yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, they have all these threats and you're just like, okay, stay motivated, stay motivated, keep learning, well, keep going. Right. And, and I do believe that high school is, uh, I guess it's like the best tightrope with a great safety net underneath. And so we're very, very scared about our kids up there on that tightrope, but high school's the best safety net. They're not yet 18 years old. And then, and don't get me wrong, I know that real serious trauma can be done. Um, but if we try to create an environment where our safety net is intact and show kids how to create their own safety nets or use them, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. You know? So I made you talk about all this, right? I I was like, listen, I know autonomy is important, but you have to sit down and talk to me about this topic right now. There's no <laughs> getting it, right? So in the name of letting you choose, right? I want to hear, I want to kind of connect what we've been talking about to either your own like training and physical practice and what you like to play and all that, and or your work as a lacrosse coach. Like, still in the school setting, but a pretty different part of it, where would you rather go? I think probably one of the most useful things to talk about, because I think the way I approach coaching is very, very similar to how I approach teaching. Um, that's just every teacher has their own personality. And they, like, I, I work with some unbelievable people and I'll go observe them. And I'm like, I want to do that. And I take their lesson and I go do it. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and you have to kind of take that and, and you have to fail a lot and then you take their ideas and make it your own. Um, and every teacher, when they're in their zone, it's awesome. And we all steal from each other. Good, te good teaching is good stealing um, with credit given. 
Sure. <laughs> um, but I think probably the most useful thing to talk about would be my own personal life and relationship to movement and the wellness industry and how it shows up in my classroom and how my classroom keeps teaching me over cool. and over and over again. Well, cheers to you for choosing what, at least to me, sounds like the harder of the two options. Um, yeah. 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 Let's get into it. So right now, let's say I, at one point, was your coach. I don't know if you're working with a coach right now, but do you see the same? Like, do you, are you immediately in the shoes of your students? Like, yeah, I need to be intrinsically motivated and learn experientially. And nope, you're already shaking your head. Practicing what I preach. <laughs> I have to work hard to remind myself. And I think that being a teacher, there are times where I've had to do something hard or uncomfortable or vulnerable that I don't think I would have done it in, except for the fact that I'm a teacher mm. and I wanted to model for my kids or I was thinking about what I asked my kids to do. Um, and then there are times where I, I have a very strong internal voice that can rationalize why the rules don't apply to me right now. Totally. Totally. <laughs> you know, out of fear, you know, out of fear or discomfort. Um, so, yeah, I would say that it's a mixed bag on that. Sometimes I nail it, dismount with a 10. Man, am I amazing. And other times I'll admit it's really difficult and hard. Yeah. I would love to get concrete here if you're comfortable with it. Yeah. Do you have an example of a time when it's hard and like now that you're kind of sitting and talking about it after the fact, you can kind of yep. see the difference between how you might have guided yourself in the classroom and what actually happened? Yeah. Um. Oh my God, I have so many examples. I think one of the things is I am a wellness teacher who happens to be in a fat body. So, and I say fat body purposefully, I'm using that because um, it, it really is how the world would interact with me. That's how the world would filter and interact with me. And, um, I grew up in the same culture that you grew up in and our kids are growing up in um, and our ideas of valuable, good, bad, right, wrong, um, all of that. I mean, I go through, I'm in my own internal um, work on remembering that right the body I'm in is good enough and it does serve me. And it's, um, I don't, it, it just, so I guess, um, and then I have a lot of opportunities to use my body with my kids in working out. And there have been times where my awareness of what I look like in front of my kids, what I can do, what I can't do, what's hard for me, them watching me struggle with X, Y, or Z, but I want them to think that I'm amazing. And will this change the way they see me or how they respect me? Um, 
And I have to say that sometimes I can't do it the way I wish I had. Like I don't get brave enough or I shy away from it or I set up the experience so that I'm not included in the yeah. movement. Um, and then other times I jump in there and I do it. And I will say like everything, everything else in life, even though it can often feel terrible and hard and I didn't like it. I do think it's way more valuable when I am myself in my body in front of my kids. It's empowering to other people. Um, some people do lose respect for me as far as kids and not, not necessarily respect for me in total, mm -hmm. but if they thought I was cool for some kids, they're working out like, Oh, like was that a chink in her armor? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. a, a in, in that sense. But I think that's okay. I think it's okay. Yeah. To wear less but, armor is probably good. Yeah. And, um, and then some days I'm just trying to be human and be a teacher and I don't have time to self actualize today. <laughs> or I'm just really tired today and you know, I can't, I can't be a hero. <laughs> I'm guessing that's the understatement of a century. Like any teacher hearing that sentence would be like, yeah, I don't have time to self-actualize today. Yes. 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 Um, so wait, I want to connect the, so first of all, I totally resonate with what you're saying from a totally different background and experience yeah. and body and everything. Um, yeah. But the idea that like, if I'm demonstrating squats to a group fitness class, then I have to be the best at doing squats in the room. It's like, right. that's why I'm the one demonstrating it, right. which is nonsense, but it like right. constantly is what we're feeling all the time. And um, you know it, you right. know it, <laughs> you actually value, believe all of that. But there's this like, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. You know? And, and I just think being aware of it and talking back to it and continuing the work, Yeah, you know, and just keeping at it. So I actually think for me and hopefully for someone else listening, it'll be helpful to have, I guess, like an analogy. So the game you were talking about, the puzzle, whatever it's called, where you try to get the ring off of the thing or, you know, you're trying yeah, to like yeah, yeah. do something with your hands and, and solve the riddle. It's kind of like as coaches, teachers, you know, people who get put up on pedestals in various ways, yeah. we're expecting that we should be able to quickly solve the thing and show them how we solved it. When in reality, like watching us struggle and fail and learn is what's actually like interesting, motivating, engaging, inspiring, and all the other good things. Yes. Yes. And that like, um, we've really changed the way we do fitness assessment. And I really, really value uh, fitness assessment we used to call it fitness testing, mm -hmm. but t what, what does that even mean? Fitness testing, right? Like, can you get an A? Well, you have to up? get a good enough score to get into a good enough school to make enough money to be happy. Right. Yeah, Right, exactly. <laughs> and I just think fitness testing can like really make someone feel like they're not an athlete and so they should just give up, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then make other people feel like, yeah, well, I'm the best, so uh, I don't have to work either. <laughs> yep. And then no one ends up working. Great. Yeah. No one's working. Uh, so just trying to make it really um, fun and 
getting curious about your body and then playing with, um, did this work? <laughs> you know, um, I don't know why I was bringing this up. What'd you say before? I don't know, but I want to follow it up. <laughs> I'm All already, right. I'm already like, uh, ready to All poke right. holes in it. You said, right. Universal design was the term from earlier. So I guess my question is like, how would yeah. you, how do you make a universal design of an assessment that doesn't immediately make at least like 10 to 20% of people like hate themselves or you for giving it to them? Yep. So uh, it's coming up next quarter. So starting in uh, like a week and a half, I'll be teaching a personal fitness class. And what does that mean? It means a whole lot of different things. But one of the things we'll do is we'll do fitness assessment. And so they have to kind of understand the process of assessment first, where, well, whatever you're going to assess yourself on, you have to find like, um, there are 2 million ways you can assess something. So you're just going to pick one and you're going to pick one. How do you pick one? Well, you pick one, you want to make sure that it actually assesses what you're, you're going for and you're just going to pick one. Is it going to be upper body, lower body? You're going to do both of those are two things you're going to do. What are you going to do? And so whatever you do at the beginning is you have to do that same exact thing, hand placement, everything in the middle and the end, because that's how you compare. So teaching kids just what assessment is and then talking about like, well, why are you picking what you're picking? Is it out of curiosity? What's motivating you? Um, Is it, you know, and then the process especially, um, I don't think it's our school in general. I think it's humans. I think most humans lean towards perfectionist tendencies. Um, and how do you keep yourself from, uh, becoming, making this process not fun? How do you keep yourself from making it mean something it doesn't? How do you enjoy it and make it fun and relevant to what you're doing and celebratory? How do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, let's talk about why that's important and how it, and then, you know, the kids get to basically, they get a variety of movement experiences. We have this poster of all different kinds of fitness assessments and then say, or you could design your own. Like, I don't know. It could be anything. How long can you stand on one foot with your eyes closed and uh, holding something in your hand? That could be your assessment. You could make anything up that you want. Um, so universal design, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do it? And then we just talk about different ways to break it down. So over the course of a quarter, we're kind of just having these conversations and they're just doing, oh, guess what? It's mid quarter. So we're going to do that assessment. You guys ready to check in? It's kind of exciting, isn't it? Well, I just did mine last week. Oh, good for you. So you already did it. Great. Cool. Um, so that's kind of how fitness assessment would go. And then at the end, just say, so we had an eight week experience together. Um, what do we know about the science of our bodies and muscle and strength and neurology and stuff like that. We're not going to get too deep, but given what we know, is there anything that you kind of get, got excited about? Do you want to continue this beyond class or not? If not, okay, good for you. If so, great. If you have any questions, come ask us sometime, you know? Amazing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. It reminds me a lot of um, my, like one of my first responses to pushback I get on goal setting 
because I can see tons of problems with goal setting. Like I can see tons of problems with assessment. Um, but to me, it's not, it's not about like guaranteeing achievement or, you know, reassessing higher necessarily. But the most interesting part is what you choose to assess or what goal you choose to set. Like, I wish I had, you know, some record of what goals <laughs> I was setting or what I cared about between like ninth grade and 12th grade. So I could look back and have that kind of lens of like what was important to me at that time and how did I right. relate to it? And where did you get that idea? Was it fed to you? Do you feel like this is going to make you like a, a better person or do you just want to, because there is something cool about, I just want to, I just want to see what my body can do. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that I, one of the reasons I always wanted you to come and talk at our school is because I love the way you approach movement and goal setting and the way you talk about it and how it permeates through um, all of the work with you did with me when I was your client. Um, I loved it. And um, I think that that's one of the things, if I could give my kids any gift, if I could give them a gift and ensure that they got it, it would be to love your, love your body, love your body and love what it can do and get curious and enjoy the journey of all the changes you're going to go through and the ebbs and the flows and the following a different interest. And like your body isn't something that like, okay, I can do 25 sit-ups in 30 seconds with perfect form. <laughs> um, you know, and then if you don't work on it, you're mad at yourself because you can't do it. No, you just got interested in something else. You know, like you can't just keep adding to your repertoire and never taking out. Right. You've got to be an organism that changes and shape shifts. And like, that's the beauty of being an organism. Yeah. How cool are we? <laughs> right. Like we can't get interested in these kind of like frameworks and strategies in order to no longer be organisms who are changing and like only progress infinitely in one direction, we can just use them as like little like landmarks and benchmarks where we can see what was changing when and take interest in that if we want to. Totally. So I have one last question for you. I'm just going to put all the pressure on you to like basically solve all of my problems and the problems okay. of anyone else who works with adults in these spaces. Bring it. <laughs> Okay, we've talked about a lot of interesting things, useful things, insightful things. I knowingly and intentionally don't work with kids, and I really enjoy working with adults. And one of the main reasons is enrollment. Like, I love working with people who sign up themselves and pay with their own money and are somehow bought into the process. You know, some are super psyched about it, and some are a little hesitant and that whole spectrum is all exciting to me, but there's, you know, some enrollment to go off of. What can I take away or what would you hope that, you know, people working with adults in the movement spaces would take away in terms of an understanding of like how to create or protect or uh, support that intrinsic motivation? Like what would you hope I would learn from your work with teens? That's an excellent question. I love it. Um, I think 
the more frequently we can get our movers to examine their motivation for what they're doing and how it's connected to what they think they should be doing or their self-worth. It's kind of like asking your, your learners to find themselves in their movement. Um, what does this mean for you? What do you want? And aesthetic is important to some people. And if it's aesthetic, like, let's dig into that. Like, just kind of getting to the, like, you know, the five whys. You keep asking why, 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 why. Um, you know, what motivates you? And to build a relationship with movement that's more healthy, balanced, functional than what the wellness industry they they give you a pretty package, but there's some kind of insidious gross stuff in there. Um, so just trying to make sure we help our movers get away from the gross and move towards a real enjoyment of their bodies. I think that's one of the biggest things. And then the other piece I would say is, you know, you do have people who sign up and pay for your classes. But that doesn't always mean that the intrinsic motivation is there. Right. Sometimes there's that external. Like one of the reasons I ended up with you is I had tried other classes. I know that one of the ways I get motivated when I feel like I don't have energy is if I paid money mm -hmm. to go to the class. <laughs> Apparently, I care about money more than I care about my fitness because I was not going to waste any money. Right. You know, but it did get me through the door and I never regretted it and I loved it. And the reason I chose you is because you have a philosophy. I think you do this well. You and I see this. Um, I love hearing you talk about movement. And you are one of the people who helps me. I talk about it all the time and I can inspire in others, but I'm still swimming in the same soup and I still get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. And you help remind me of what I already know. So I, I think that kind of stuff, like... Um, just keep helping to remind each other. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I see it as like a uh, signal and noise, like the extrinsic motivation that goes up and down is just a bunch of noise that we have to kind of like see past. And if we can help people kind of hone in on the intrinsic, whether it starts tiny or really big, it's just if you can move that a little bit and not worry so much, like sometimes you'll be really extrinsically motivated by money or whatever else and sometimes you won't be yeah but if you can just kind of hold on to the intrinsic for whatever yeah. portion it is yeah and I remember one time I came with a a, a really sore back and I had yeah. just started and my internal monologue was you just signed up for this and you're already dogging out on the workout and I can't believe your body didn't hold up you did like what three workouts and your back is out. This is why you're doing the class. You're going to get there and you're going to, and I was trying to like, like yeah. take control and hammer it. And you were like, okay, we're going to change up our workout today. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and we did something completely different that was within the scope of what my body could do. And that sounds really simple. But for me, I remember it being very like profound and reminding me that I, I do think that sometimes the anxiety of what people think they have to do to get their movement in for the day yep. keeps people from moving and then creates this guilt cycle when really 
there are limitless opportunities to how you move today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just remembering that. Yeah, that was that's a great memory. Like I I remember the you know, emotions were definitely high and it's like it's an intense interaction when like we didn't know each other very well at that point and you were going through something really difficult. But yeah, I see it as like um you're like a an artist with a blank canvas, but it's yeah. a really important canvas and everyone is yelling at you about like what to put on it and how important it is. Yes. And then I guess my job in that moment is like, can we get like a brush stroke down? Like, can we, can we do yeah. anything with this instead of just like taking in all that pressure and letting it kind of right. build up? And I think that's one of the things too, because like I just said, I work in the movement profession. I love the movement profession and I still have all my own human stuff totally. in the movement arena. Yeah. So that's why I like that we remind each other. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think that's kind of like you in a few different times, you kind of described like my hope for this podcast is like, we all relate to this stuff differently. And if we can talk about the ways that they're similar and different, then I think we can start to like actually see what's there instead of just like what's marketed or what sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Greels, thank you. This is my favorite part. I get to try to give like a small part of the thank you that I'm feeling <laughs> in the moment. Um, I had fun. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear it. I invite you to keep talking with me about any and all of this stuff off the record <laughs> all the yes. time. Um, I would love to come talk with your kids virtually or in person anytime. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you like were hoping to say or that you want to leave people with? I guess I think it's important that your podcasters know that you are still under Mr. Fine in, <laughs> in my contacts. And I think it's fantastic when Mr. Fine calls. <laughs> that is important. I'm glad everyone yep. knows that. I'm going to put that at the very beginning of the episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Thank you again. Um, Thank yeah, you. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye.